Our text this evening is going to be Psalm number 139. Psalm number 139. You can turn there with me in your Bibles. And the last couple of weeks, I've had you stand to read it. Um, this week, we're going to be looking at all 24 verses, and so we won't, for the sake of time, stand and read them all in the beginning. But we will go through this. The title of this message is Created by All-Knowing God. This is Psalm number 139. This is a Psalm of David. And I want to start, and we're going to break this section of Scripture down into three parts. The first part will be verses 1 through 12, and we'll look at God who knows everything. The second section will be verses 13 through 18, and we'll see how David belonged to God. And then the last section we'll look at will be verses 19 through 24, and we'll be looking at David's vindication. David's vindication. If that word vindication scares you a little bit, don't worry, we will talk about it when we get to it. In this first section, we see in verses 1 through 12, God knows everything. And I will just ask you to listen as we read these verses together. Verse 1, David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hand me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be, by, be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So in the first section, the first three verses, this is what we see. God sees and searches everything that we do, and not only what we do, but also what we think. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Do you ever think about that? There's nothing that you've ever done that God does not know about. Nothing you've ever done, nothing you've ever been able to do. Have you ever been in a context where maybe you're doing something you shouldn't be doing? Maybe, Derek, you're beating up on Noah and you know you're not supposed to be doing it. And nobody's around and all of a sudden mom walks in the door. And the first thing you want to do is separate and get away from him. I wasn't doing anything. And you think that as long as she's not there watching you do it, you're okay. But the moment she's there, you oh, she sees me. Well, the reality with God is there's never a time that God doesn't see us and know everything about us. And not only is He able to know everything about us, but He actually is watching. He is watching and seeing everything all the time. The next verse, He says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Is that kind of intimidating to you? God knows what you're thinking. God sees your very thoughts. I would be willing to bet that if you were to take all the thoughts you've ever had and put them up here on these TV screens, you would be pretty ashamed and embarrassed, wouldn't you? I would be. 
If you could see everything that went through my mind, as long as I can keep it in here, I'm safe. But when my mouth starts opening, that's when I get into trouble. When I start saying what I think, and even worse, when I start doing what I want to do, then it can get me into trouble. But if I can keep it up here, then it's hidden, right? People don't see it. Well, it says that God sees us when we stand up, when we sit down, and He discerns even our thoughts from afar. He says, you search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. God sees and searches everything. The next section we see is we see that God hears everything we say. Look at the next verses. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Now stop and think about this for a second. What's David saying? Even before I say what I'm going to say, God already knows what I'm going to say. How can that be? Well, we just saw that God knows our thoughts. And before you say something, it's in your head first, right? You're thinking it before you say it. Some of you are thinking, well, I say a lot of things that I don't think about before I say them, right? Even those things, God knows what's going to come out of your mouth before it does. He's aware of it. He hears it. He knows it all together. What's going to come out of our mouths? In verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. You know, God, in light of him knowing in verse 4 everything we're going to say, one time Jesus said this. Jesus said, you think about if you stand before God, that God's going to judge you. And you think the sins that God's going to see are going to be, well, whenever I was mean to my siblings, when I didn't listen to my parents, when I lied whenever I was selfish, when I stole something that wasn't mine, all these bad things. We think that's what God's going to judge. Did you know that God is going to hold you in account for the things you said? Everything that comes out of your mouth. Jesus said, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. How many of you have ever heard the commandment from the Bible, from the Ten Commandments, to not take the Lord's name in vain? Have you heard that? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Now most of you probably think that to take God's name in vain means that you say God and then you follow it up with a cuss word. And you say damn, but not talking about the way it's used in the Bible. You're saying it just as an expression. People get mad and they'll say that. That's not actually the primary thing that's communicated in that. It's this idea of talking about God in a careless way. It's using the name of God in a vain or empty way. For example, if someone says, if they get really excited about something and they say, oh my God, they're not actually talking about God. They're just using His name as an empty expression. You're not, you have a careless word that you've uttered about God. And we're going to give an account. We're going to explain to God. In other words, if, if perhaps, you know, if somebody were to go to the restroom and they say, you know, I had to wipe my and fill in and put your name in there. They're making your name vain and empty and something that's not nice. They're, they, maybe they think they're being funny, but they're actually being very offensive to you, aren't they? Whenever we take God's name and we put it somewhere it doesn't belong, we're being offensive to God. And we're going to give an account for that. And God, there's no word that you've ever spoken that God didn't hear. God is aware of every single thing that you say. I'll tell you, I'll be the first to admit, that's terrifying because I say a lot of words, don't I? Whether I'm preaching or even in conversation, guys, I I talk a lot. If the words that I'm saying are careless, if they're not meaningful, if they're not intentional, 
If they're not good, I'm going to give an account for those things. That's what we're reading in this. The next verse I already read in verse 5. He says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. It would be almost like if I was standing in a square space and all of a sudden somebody brought four cow panels. Y'all know what cow panels are, don't you? You put a panel here, 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 and here. I don't have anywhere I can go, do I? I'm completely hemmed and boxed in. I'm stuck in this spot. David's saying, God, you put your parameters around me. There's nowhere I can go and say anything or do anything that you don't know about. That's what he's saying. We cannot escape God's sovereign control over us. Everything we do and everything we think is exposed to God. Now, let me ask you something, guys. How does it make you feel that God knows everything you think, everything you do, everything you say, every desire that you have? God knows about it the moment that you do it. But more than that, he knew it before you did it. How does that make you feel that God knows all of that about you? I mentioned before, Derek. The moment that you're being perhaps mean, beating up on Noah, or maybe Noah's the one beating up on you, I don't know. But the moment that's happening, when you realize mom sees what we're doing, then all of a sudden you get worried about it. You, you fear being in trouble. Imagine that times infinity. God sees what you're doing and what you're thinking all the time. How does that make you feel? If you think that God doesn't care about bad things that happen, then maybe you don't care that he knows what you've done. But the Bible again and again tells us that God is just. God doesn't let people do bad things and get away with it. And so he sees the things we do. How does it make you feel? Look and ask, how did it make David feel that God knew everything about him? How did it make David feel? Verse 6, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now think about this. Let's stick with Derek here. It's a useful example, Derek. How would it make you feel that God knows all the rotten beating up you're doing to your younger brother? Would you say, well, it's wonderful that God knows all the terrible things I've done. David says, it's wonderful that God knows all about me. How can that be? How can it be that in light of David's sin, he could say it's wonderful that God knew these things? Shouldn't David have been terrified? Should David not have been saying, God knows what I've done. I'm, I'm in big trouble. I've got an accounting to give. I'm going to account all my idle words. Why can he say that this is wonderful? Was David a sinless man? We'll talk more about this at the end. But do you remember who David was? Remember what David did? Do you? Yeah. David, this man who is following after God. We, many of us remember he, he slew the giant. He had his slingshot and rocks went out there on the battlefield, killed Goliath, won a great victory for Israel. He's made king. And then down the road one day, David sees a woman he thinks is pretty good looking. And he says, I'd like to have her. She wasn't his wife. She was married to someone else. So he brings her to him, sins with her, has her husband killed, lies about it, tries to cover it up. That's this man, David. Now he's saying every idle word and everything I've done or thought is exposed to God. God knew about all of that in David. He saw all his sin. Why is it David saying it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that God knows all about me? You see, David saw God as his savior and deliverer. And as we're going to see in the end of this psalm, 
David makes this reference to God as a deliverer from evil men, from those who oppose David. David saw that God was the one who was going to rescue him from all evil men in the world, including himself, including David. That's why he rejoiced that there was no way for him to be separated from God. We see that in verses 7 through 12. This is what he says. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go make my bed in Sheol, you're there. You know what Sheol is? It's a reference to either death or some people suggest hell. That there's nowhere you can go to get away from God. People think that hell is hell because that, well, God's not there to make me happy. That's not true. The scripture says that the smoke and torment went up in the presence of the Lamb. God is there executing His wrath and judgment on those who have rebelled against Him. You can't go anywhere to get away from this God. He's everywhere, all the time, in all places. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. You know, there are still places in the sea that we have not explored. It's too deep. We can't get there. We can't go far enough. There are parts of this world that we still, with all our technology, cannot go. David's saying, yeah, God's even able to go there. There's nowhere in the realm of existence that God cannot go and that you could go to get away from God. That's what he's saying. He says that even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now pause. Why is God leading and holding David, this sinful man who's done these sinful things, and God's not oblivious? God knows all the sin that David's done, and yet he's there with him, leading him, upholding him. Why? He says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be not. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. You guys know something? Whenever somebody wants to do something sinful, do they go out in the middle of the street usually and do it where everybody can see them? In our culture today, some people do. People that have been given over, people who are so consumed with their lust and hatred for God, they will do it in the light. But the normal thing that happens is people that do bad things, they want to do it at night where they think nobody can see them. They want to do it when nobody's around. They want to pummel their little brother when nobody's watching. And yet the Scripture's telling us there's no place too dark that God can't see into. God sees it all. He's able to see everything, even the darkest night God is able to see. The next section we see, so the first part, God knows everything there is to know about David. God knows everything there is to know about you. That's really the overarching point. There's a term, a theological term that's called omniscience. Omniscience. Can you remember that? God is omniscience or omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing he does not know. That's what the word means. And that's what we're seeing in this. The next section talks to us about how David belonged to God. You might sit there and think, so what if God knows everything that I do? Why does that matter if God knows everything that I do? Well, we see in verses 13 through 18 that David belonged to God. I'll ask this question. What authority or right did God have over David? Why did God get to decide how David should live? Why did God get to decide? Why does God get to tell you what's right and what's wrong and why you should do one thing one way or not? That's a lot of people in this world. They, they say, God can't tell me what I get to do. I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to be God. I'm going to do what I want to do. 
Well, David tells us exactly why it is that we're accountable to this God. Verses 13 through 16. David says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What's he saying here? David's saying God created me. God made me. God knit me together. God made me exactly the way that I am according to what He wanted to do. God decided to make you, create you. People think for some reason that the way that a person is born is just a man and a woman get married and then there comes a baby. The Bible teaches, no, that's the way that God makes people. God knits us together in our mother's womb. God creates us. And He has the authority as the Creator to determine our, the day that we're born and the day that we die. Did you hear that? In your book were written every one of them. Every one of what? Every one of the days that were formed for me when I was, when yes, yet there was none of them. In other words, before you'd ever been born, God had already decided what day you were going to be born and what day you were going to die. Nobody dies out of time in that sense. You think people, you'll hear somebody say, well, they just died too young. They died too early. They died younger than they should have. And it may feel that way to us if someone's relatively young when they die. But the Bible tells us the day that you're going to die has already been determined by God. And here's the point. God created us. He determines the day that we're born and the day that we die. And everything between those two days, that belongs to Him too. God who created you, God who, who put you into this world is going to take you out of this world someday. And all the days in between those two days are His. He has every right as the one who made us to tell us these things. How many of you have ever built anything? You ever build anything? You ever build anything with Legos? You make something, you spend a lot of time, and you make it look really cool. And then walks brother, stepping on it, crunching it to pieces. And you're like, what are you doing? I've, I made that. You destroyed it. It's yours. It belongs to you. When you make something, it belongs to you. You own it. And you care about what happens to it. Same with God. God created us and He cares how we live and what we do with the life that He's given us. And here's my question. Do you believe, honestly, do you believe that God, the one who made you, has the right to tell you how to live? Does God get to decide how you live or do you get to decide how you live? Guys, I know that all of you are growing up in homes with parents that are telling you these things. But one of these days, you're going to step out into a world of people that hates God. And they're going to tell you things like this. You can be whatever you want to be. If you can dream it, you can be it. They'll tell you, it doesn't matter. If God created you a little boy, you can be a little girl if you want to. You think that sounds silly? I know, and it is silly. But the point is this, there are people who hate God so much that they will rebel against the very way He's created them. There are people who think it's okay to kill a little baby in the womb that God is the one knitting the baby together in the womb. They have no right to touch that. And yet they do. Why? Because they don't see that God is the creator and author of life. Yes, God has authority over us to tell us 
how to live. And, and here's what people don't realize. God, the one who made us, who values us, who's he's made in his image, just like that Lego thing you made. You value it. You don't want it destroyed. Just like that, God has rules that he tells us that are for our good. They're for our good and his glory. God has authority over us for these reasons. The second question on this part, and I already talked about this, was David free from any sin? God says, I, David says, God sees everything I do. I cannot escape God anywhere I go. Okay, all right, David, we got it. Why are you accountable to this God? He made me. He made me in every way. He fashioned me exactly as I am. I'm accountable to him. Is that good news for David? That the one that created him, the one who sees everything he's ever done, knows about his sin? Here's my question. Are you free from sin? God sees and knows every sinful and selfish thing you've ever done. He sees it all. There's nothing hidden from his sight. And my question is, can you rejoice that God knows everything about you? Does this seem kind of odd to you? That David, who is a sinful man, saying, God sees me, wonderful that God sees me. Is that what comes into your mind when you think about the sin that you've done? God sees it, wonderful. Probably not. Probably not. How come David says that? The last verses we look at are verses 19 through 24. He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Oh, God, oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So let me ask you, should David be counted in that expression in verse 19? Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Was David wicked according to what he'd done? I told you David committed murder. He took another man's wife. She got pregnant. David was afraid. And so he took this woman, her husband, his name was Uriah. And he sent Uriah to the front lines. You ever see a, a combat movie without guns or with guns? It doesn't matter. All the people in the front of the army, they're more likely to get shot or killed first, aren't they? David sends him out there to the front lines of battle in order that he would be killed. David killed him. David was a man of blood. David says, how can he say, oh, that you would slay the wicked? How come David didn't get slayed? Why was David not slain? Doesn't make any sense. Well, the answer is found in Psalm beginning in Psalm 110. If you just if you have your Bibles and want to look back to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, number 110. David says this in verse one, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, listen to this. David says the Lord said to my Lord. So there's a Lord talking. 
And there's another Lord he's talking to. Who's David talking about here, do you think? David's referring to God the Father, God, creator of all things. He's talking to another one that David says, that's my Lord. You need to know something. David was the king. There's not a Lord above David on the earth. He's talking to another king who's above him, who's not of the earth. He's talking about Jesus. David is looking to Jesus. And notice, this Lord that David's talking about has enemies that are being defeated, being conquered. That'll make more sense in a minute. You can turn there or just listen to this from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Why is it that David doesn't get slain with everyone else who got slain? Why not? 2 Corinthians 4. Listen to verses 13 and 14. Paul writes and says, Since we... Now he's talking about Christian people. People who believe in Jesus Christ. Who've been saved. He says, Since we who are Christians have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. You know who he's quoting from there? David. Paul's saying David said this because he had faith. He had faith. We have the same faith that David had. This one who deserved to be slain with every other wicked man. And yet he had faith and he had a Lord he was trusting to defeat enemies. And the next thing he says is knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Here's the point in that. David was trusting God's provision. David had a, a hope that there was going to be one to deliver him from his enemies. Though David was a wicked man, a man of blood who deserved to die too. He was looking to this Lord, this Jesus who would help him to escape the judgment of God. Now, let me ask you, did you catch that language of enemies? You read that section there. I told you we're going to talk about the word vindication. Vindication means this. If all of a sudden Harmony was to be on trial for murder, and then she's standing in the courtroom, and everybody thinks she killed someone, and all of a sudden she says, wait a minute, I was at youth group whenever that person died. I'm going to ask Pastor Dexter, Pastor Joe, Mr. Gabe, Mr. David. These guys are going to come and tell you all that I was at youth group when that happened. And then we get up and we testify for you. And then the judge and the jury look and they say, well, we've got a lot of witnesses here that saw her. She didn't. She couldn't have done it. We just vindicated you. We just laid out a charge of truth. We testified for you and said, she's not guilty. You were vindicated. David's saying, vindicate me, God. There are evil people who want to hurt me. I need to be vindicated. Well, David's vindication, his deliverance from enemies. What is it? How is it? Who are these enemies he's talking about? I just want to read for you from Luke chapter 1. An incredible passage of Scripture that deals with this exact thing. Luke chapter 1. A longer section, just listen to this. This is Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And he's prophesying and it says after and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That word redeemed there, we could see that as vindicated or delivered or freed. He's, he's redeemed them and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Here's this descendant from David who's come to do some delivering from enemies. 
And then it goes on and says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Is that not what David's talking about? God, deliver me from these men of blood. Slay these wicked men, these enemies of mine. What are these enemies? He says to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, hold on. There's no holiness. There's no righteousness in a man who has committed adultery, rape, murder. How can he be saved? It says in you, child, will be called the prophet of the most high, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Now, listen in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give <coughs> light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now here's the point in all of this. David's got enemies. They're threatening his life. You know what David's greatest enemies were? It wasn't a man with a a sword. It wasn't a giant on a battlefield. David's enemies were his own sin. Zechariah is saying... There's this one coming who's going to redeem us. He's going to deliver us (coughs) from these enemies of ours. And that deliverance is going to come through forgiveness of sin. Your enemies that need to be dealt with are the sin in your life. That's what separates you from God. And see, here's the hope. Here's how David can have rejoicing that God knows everything about him. Do you know why? Every sin incurs a debt. Every sin you've committed Every individual sin deserves the just wrath of God. And here's the reality. Think of this. What if there was one of your sins that God didn't know about? What if there was just one, one sin that deserved judgment that God had somehow overlooked or missed? And yet when we're told there's a deliverance from enemies, from sin, forgiveness of sin, it's a reminder to us that the God who justifies, the God who sent His Son to die on the cross for sin, is able to die and cover every single one of them. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. And when Christ died on the cross, He was able to fully satisfy the wrath of God against your sin. It's a good thing that God knows about all your sin. It's a good thing that God sees everything about you that you've done wrong. Why? Because He's able to make it all right. He's able to pay that cost in full so that Jesus can say, It is finished. You remember Jesus said that on the cross? It is finished. He didn't say, well, it's almost finished. I hope it's finished. I hope I haven't missed something. I hope there's something that I I should have done that that I didn't do. I hope I got it all. No, he says it's finished because every single drop of the wrath of God that your sin deserved was upon him for those who trust in Jesus Christ. That's David's hope. I pray that that's your hope, that you would see and be able to rejoice that God, there's nothing he does not know. And if you're a Christian, you're one God has forgiven you of all your sin. I remember, I won't tell you who, but someone in this room once told me when I was talking with them about an issue of sin in their life, 
And they said to me, I asked them, what do you have to say about your sin? What hope do you have? And they said, well, I know that God is able to forgive of every sin. And that's my hope. And that's every Christian's testimony. That because of what Jesus did, we can be forgiven. God has vanquished our enemies. He's delivered us from them all. And so, with that, we will close in prayer and then gather at the back if you'll bow with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I ask that you would bless our time and study together now and that you would help us to rejoice at your perfect knowledge that you who know all things are not going to forget a single one of them and not to forget one of us who are yours. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.